This morning we are continuing our way through the, the book of Acts, and we are uh, we're going to be looking at some uh, wisdom about providence. The, if you want a title for my sermon this morning, you could think about it as uh, Kingdom Planning and the Plans of the King. But before we go into that specific aspect of providence, I'd like to just put this in the, uh, the framework of what the Bible says more broadly about providence and planning. So here's just three verses from the Proverbs that I think are enough to, to get us going to frame things in the right way. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established, Proverbs 16.3. And then Proverbs 16, verse 9, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. And then another one, uh, we'll finish it off, Proverbs 19, verse 21, many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. When we think about kingdom planning, it's a particular aspect of planning that relates to uh, what shall we do as a church? How shall we order our, uh, our lives and our calling as a church before God? Uh, in the hope that uh, our plans will converge uh, with the plans of the Lord. A couple of things that we can take to heart from the Proverbs are that first of all, planning is a good thing. Planning is not over against being spiritual or being godly. Uh, Proverbs makes it clear that the wise will plan, uh, and, that, and that those who truly seek the Lord and desire that their lives will be uh, conformed to God's will, that they may accomplish God's purpose, there is this assurance that if we, if we commit our ways to the Lord, that He will establish uh, our plans. We, we may not always see that happening. Uh, we, sometimes we may never fully see that happening, but we have that assurance as the Word of God. But there is another aspect that it is a good thing to plan, but the planning of the people of God is always um, in humility. It is always uh, in flexibility. It is always with the words, Lord willing, because the Lord's plans will prevail. And it is... Uh, we, we live in a culture that places a tremendously high value on planning and often thinks that planning can solve just about everything, even in the church, so that if we get the right, you know, five-year plan, whatever, and work the plan, why everything will be good. Uh, planning is important, but humility and flexibility, openness to the leading in the Spirit of God are also very important. Uh, today we're going to, to take a the beginning of uh, two Sundays, looking at the second and third missionary journeys of St. Paul. Uh, these take place roughly 48 AD to 59 AD, so a span of almost 11 years. He's, they're not out uh, traveling all of that time. There are some years where they come back to, to Palestine. The, the, mission team, the mission trips depart like the first trip from Antioch, so these missionary expeditions are under the oversight of a church, if you will. The missionaries are sent out as uh, people who belong to this church, and they are commissioned by this congregation to go out with, with the Word of God. Um, we also see that as they go out, 
they, they go out with a definite sense of calling. When in Acts 13, the first trip, the Spirit says, set aside Paul and Barnabas to the work which I've, Barnabas and Saul uh, was the order in Acts 13, verse 2. Set them as apart for the work to which I have called them. And then uh, 13.4, being sent off by the Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and sailed away. And where did they sail? Here are the missionaries. They're getting into the boat. They're sailing off onto the ocean. Where are they sailing? They're sailing home. Sailing home. Where do they sail? They sail to Cyprus. Where is Barnabas from? He's from Cyprus. And when they get their little trip done in Cyprus, where do they go? They go to Asia. Where is Paul from? Asia. How many foreign languages did they have to learn to go on their first mission trip? Zero. They were going home. How many cultural boundaries did they have to master, navigate to go on their mission trips? Zero. So if you're thinking about what would a missional church look like? How would we know where God wants us to go? Well, maybe it could be no more complicated than the first one. Just go to where your people are. Go to the neighborhoods that you know. Go where you don't have to learn any languages. Go where you understand how things work. And, you know, if you want to try something more difficult, there's more, plenty of opportunities for that, too. But they, they have this sense of being called to their homelands. And they go from Antioch, Cyprus, Asia, and they, they want to do a second trip. And we'll, we'll read about that uh, in, in just a moment here. But as we read, uh, what I want you to see is how the king sovereignly orders things, arranges things so that the mission can go forward. Acts 15, our point of departure will just be the introduction to the second mission trip. Acts 15 at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we pro proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, which is the eastern part of Asia Minor, strengthening the churches. Thinking about our planning and the king's plans. It was, uh, it was the plan of the king to expand the, the uh, scope of the mission, to expand the, the number of missionaries. There's, there's plenty of work to do. Cyprus is a big island. Asia Minor is a big place. Uh, from our hindsight of 2,000 years, we can see that it was a wise thing. You know, Why not have two mission teams instead of one? But... Uh, Paul and Barnabas weren't there yet in their, when they initially thought of this. They just said, well, let's go back and see how the churches are doing and continue our, our mission. And they fall out. And they fall out over planning. 
They fall out over who should be on the mission team. Was it the Holy Spirit's leading that led them to become bitterly angry with each other? Let's not put it in those terms. But was it the will of God? Was it the will of the Lord that the mission team should expand? Clearly it was, and this was, this was all to the good. Remember how the Lord, the Lord is way ahead of things. Remember how the Lord got the, the gospel out of Jerusalem. Persecution. Scattered the church. Not a happy thing at all. And yet, the Lord is sovereign. He has His plans. The church, in, the church in Jerusalem is working on being a good church, just like they should have been. But God scattered them to take the gospel other places. And here, here are lifelong friends, well, at least for 15 years, uh, we might guess, 12 years, Paul and Barnabas have known each other. They've been good friends. They both care passionately about the mission. God uses a falling out. The Lord, the Lord is way ahead of us in the work of missions, and sometimes uh, the, the means that he uses are not ones that, uh, that we would have planned if we were planning things, but the Lord is in charge. Let's keep reading here. Paul came, this is the ch uh, chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So they are back to the churches that Paul and Barnabas planted on, their, on Paul's, Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. Derby and, and Lystra, Iconium, that's in uh, central Asia Minor, Turkey is the landmass today. Uh, and they're, they're carrying out a plan. Uh, the Jerusalem Council dealt with the question of how will we welcome Gentile believers into gospel communities. They worked that out through spirit-led discussion and debate, and they made a plan, let's communicate this to the churches uh, throughout the region. Paul and Silas, uh, and after taking on Timothy, they communicate the decrees of the council. They're carrying out the plan of the Jerusalem council, and the churches are strengthened, uh, and they grow. Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, here's, a, here's an instance of of remarkable direction by the Lord. The, 
the mission team, they're, they're coming uh, east to west across Turkey. They get to the, they've been to Iconium and Lystra and Derby, uh, probably Antioch and Pisidia, that area where they first started out. And Paul has, he, he believe, you know, he's convinced, rightly, that God has called him to take the gospel to his own country, to Asia Minor. He, and he, has, you know, he hasn't received a clue that, that that has changed, and so they decide, well, let's, let's go north. They're, they're kind of toward the uh, eastern or western third of, of the landmass, and they head up this natural uh, valley, uh, main route, and they're looking for a place to share the gospel. And as they take this long hike, this long, lonely prayer walk through Western Asia, the Holy Spirit keeps saying, not here, not now, not yet. And they get up to the north end of this area, and it's called Bithynia, and they want to, let's go here and preach the gospel. And the Spirit of Jesus says, no, not here. And so they turn west, and they go down toward the sea, and they end up at Troas. And that night, Paul has this vision of a Macedonian man say, come over and help us. And notice that at this point, the text uh, moves into first person which most likely indicates that Luke, the author of Acts, was part of this leg, anyway, of the mission trip. It could be that uh, Luke is drawing on some first-person manuscript or source, but most biblical scholars would, would suggest that Luke was part of the group. And, and notice, Paul has the dream, but he doesn't say, I have a dream, let's go to Macedonia. He shares the dream. And the mission team discusses it. And the mission team concludes, we think the Lord wants us to go to Macedonia. Now, it's easy to set up a, a big opposition between planning and being guided by the Spirit here. Uh, clearly, the mission team need, had to be flexible. Clearly, the mission team had to be open to the leading of the Spirit. But don't miss this. They'd been open to the leading of the Spirit all the way. They were going along praying for a door, and the Spirit said, no. Is it here? No. Can we speak here? No. And what that looked like, who can say? Maybe just some inner compulsion, or maybe one of the members of the mission trip had a, a prophetic utterance. We, we're not told. But they're, they're convinced they're called to take the gospel to Asia. They're working on that, and they take this seemingly fruitless hike, but where do they end up? They end up at Troas. And if you've been called on a mission trip to Macedonia, Troas is the ideal place to start because you just get in. When you get to Troas, you can either go back the way you came or you can get in a boat and go somewhere else. And they, they cross the little stretch of water and land in Philippi, and they move on to Thessaloniki and Berea and Athens and Corinth, and end up staying a year in Corinth. And when he's in Corinth, uh, Paul's pretty bummed out and discouraged, and the Lord appears to him again and says, uh, take heart, I've got lots of folks here in this city. You're going to have fruitful ministry. So the, the, Lord, the Lord directs the mission team. And, and when it's time for the mission team to expand their horizons, the Lord makes it known to them 
And they are people who are dialed into the Spirit. And so they're willing to, they're willing to say, we think the Lord is calling us to go elsewhere at this moment in time. And of course, on Paul's third missionary journey, he spends almost all of his, he makes Ephesus, which is on the seacoast of Western Asia. That's his base of operations for six years, as he probably some of the time spent in prison. But uh, from Ephesus, he makes it his base to strengthen the, the cause, uh, the gospel cause, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which are Greece today, but also uh, in that whole territory uh, from which the seven churches uh, emerge in the first chapters of the book of Revelation. The Lord is in charge. What, uh, what, I, what I'd like to challenge you with this morning, and I hope more, uh, more so also just by way of encouragement, is to note, note the way the Lord is always planning and that his plans are way ahead of ours, which should be um, tremendously comforting and assuring. Because it's not like we have to go out and, and uh, you know, knock the world into shape so that there's a hope of sharing the gospel. The, Lord's, the Lord has been doing the heavy lifting for, for, well, from the councils of eternity. But let just think about the, the first mission trip. Start, you know, starting after, you know, say, early 40s, well, the first mission trip would have been early 40s A.D. When I was, uh, when I lived in Scotland, I liked to go, I'd walk south of our village, which was right on the, the far edge of the Glasgow conurbation. If you went north from our town on the train, you just, you rode through like 20 miles of industrial wasteland. If you've seen Lord of the Rings, think Mordor. Um, but if you went south, it was open fields, pastures, and on the horizon were the Scottish borders, just beautiful country. But I like to walk out of town, and about two miles south of town, there was this cobbled path, and it just went straight as an arrow, about five miles over. It didn't make it all the way because there was a farmer's field that had overtaken it, but uh, to the next village. And I would walk on it, and it would just... It really kind of stretched my sense of time because it was the remnant of a Roman road built by legionnaires 70 AD. And I'd walk on that and I'd think, this is really old. This is really old. And I would think, you know, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and all of those fellows and, and women, they walked on roads like this. And they could move freely they could move safely, and you know, it was, straight, it was built for legionnaires to travel. So it, it was like the Ohio Turnpike of the day. And it was safe to travel, you know, if you drive the Turnpike every what, every 30 or 40 miles, there's this, these buildings with a dozen state police cars in front of them. And where, where those roads went, there were legionnaires. So you could move quickly, you could move safely, and God put all that together. And then the missionaries went out throughout the Mediterranean world, throughout the Roman world. Um, 200 BC, Alexandria, north coast of Egypt. There are, there are a million Jews living in Alexandria. Alexandria has one of the largest libraries of the ancient world, or it had at the time. And the thing was, you had all these Jewish people living all over the Mediterranean world, and, and they all spoke Greek, and their Bible was in Hebrew. 
And it took a long time to get around to the idea, well, can we translate this into another language? <laughs> so 200 BC in Alexandria, they start translating the Bible from Hebrew into Greek for all of these diaspora communities that are going to have synagogues all over the ancient world, Mediterranean world. So wherever the missionaries go, they have a strategy, let's, let's start with the synagogues, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And every place they go, uh, everybody has a Bible, or at least all the synagogues have Bibles in the language that they can read. Let's, let's dial it a little closer to the mission trip. The apostles decide they need, well, they, they parted company over a helper, so they got to Lystra and said, here's Timothy. This, this, is, a, this is the guy we need for our mission trip. How had God been preparing Timothy? His grandmother Lois God started doing generational spiritual formation in that family. His uh, mother Eunice, another woman of godly faith, and, and then Timothy has been formed by generational devotion to the God of uh, the God of the Bible. So you, you can you know you can back it up, take the big the long view, and you see the Lord the Lord is preparing the mission. And in its outworking, the spirit, the spirit is raising up teams. So what I'd like you to take from this uh, quick trip uh, introduction to the, the missionary trips is, is this, that when God gets around to calling people to do mission work, he calls teams. The, Paul and Barnabas are both passionately committed to the idea that we're going to go out together and not just two of us, at least three. And God had put it on their heart. It wasn't that the session at the church in Antioch said, you know, we, ought to, we need a plan to do missionary work. How should we pull this off? No, the Spirit puts it on the heart of two guys to say, let's take the gospel home. And the Spirit tells the church, uh, set apart Saul and Barnabas for this work that I've called them to do. And I, think that, I think that's a paradigm that we need to think about now because we're in a missionary situation. And it's a liberating paradigm. I think it's an inspiring paradigm. If you're sitting around waiting for the session to come up with the master plan to help us all get doing evangelism, well, you know, keep waiting, keep praying. But maybe the Lord will put it on your heart, just your heart, that for some people, that there's folks in the community that you just have a heart to reach with, reach, uh, reach for the gospel. Uh, and you could just start praying, you know, Lord, maybe there's one other person in the congregation that has this burden that I do. Uh, Lord, help me find them. That's, you know, that's the great thing about being able to come to church. You, you not only can talk to people about the Browns and the, uh, you know, the, the Indians and, all, and, and Baker Mayfield and, and the price of, of uh, milk at Giant Eagle. Sometimes you might actually have a conversation with somebody about, boy, there's some folks in my neighborhood that just really need Jesus and I, they're on my heart. And I wish there were, we could figure out some way to reach them. And you, you, know, you might run into those folk, you might run into that person and you could start praying for God to show you the first step to reach them. And you might get to the place where you, you have a plan and you, you, know, you could go to the session and say, 
here's what God's put on our hearts. This is what we're thinking about doing. Is that all right? Because <laughs> all through the book of Acts, the elders, they're just trying to catch up with the Spirit. And I think that's tremendously encouraging. You don't have to wait. You know, we don't have to wait until Jesus comes back. I mean, may he come back soon. May he come back today. But while we're waiting, we don't have to wait on everybody else if God's put it on our hearts because the Spirit, the Spirit's always ahead of the elders and the deacons. Way ahead. And usually the Spirit has the, the elders catching up with what God is doing in the hearts of the people. So I just want you to take that to heart. And if, you, if the Lord puts it on your heart to do something for the work of the kingdom... Uh, don't feel like you have to wait and present a master plan and all of this stuff. Just ask God to form a team. And, it, you know, it might be as simple as just you and your spouse. There would be a great team. The Lord's been, the Lord's been into teams from the beginning. It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a, a helper for him. And they can r rule the earth and subdue it for my glory. So don't make it complicated. It's as simple as can be, and it can start with you and one other person. Ecclesiastes says, uh, two are better than one. You know, if, if, uh, if you're one and you fall down, you're just kind of stuck there. I've fallen and I can't get up. But if you know two, two is better. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Lord, we thank you for the pattern of mission work in the book of Acts and for the hope, uh, the enduring uh, uh, opportunity that it puts before us, knowing that your spirit is uh, at work in people's hearts, looking for someone to come and help them, someone to come and share the gospel with them. And so we pray that we might be inspired as we read uh, to listen to your spirit, uh, to ask if you're putting something on our hearts and on the hearts of one or two others among us. Uh, be with us and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.